Good morning, everyone. Um, this morning is a different and exciting morning um, because uh, if you've been here for the last couple weeks, um, you know we're in the middle of our sort of now annual uh, difficult questions series. Um, and this is the final week of that series, which we are wrapping up with a difficult questions Q&A panel. Um, so as uh, Charlie said earlier, uh, that number right up there, at any point during, during this service, text in your questions. And uh, hopefully we'll have time to get to most of them. We'll see just kind of what we uh, get through. But, uh, and our panel will field your questions. So really quick, I'm going to introduce our panel. Uh, first up, we have Adam Lips. Uh, he is the youth minister. He runs the clearing and the trailhead. And he is also an expert movie critic. So uh, keep that in mind as you, you know, come up with your questions. Uh, Jim Leahy. Uh, we were trying to come up with what Jim's title is. Uh, suggestions were given of a uh, resident lay scholar or just old man Jim. Um, so uh, there's a wide variety there. Uh, Marta Gilliland, she is the pastor of Community Life and also our dip expert. Um, she makes all of the best dips. Um, and we've got Dan Wilburn, uh, the founding pastor and uh, doctoral uh, student uh, right now, candidate right now. And uh, Garrett Leahy, teaching pastor, is that your role? Good enough. And, and pastor of the nerds. So, uh, so uh, we're just going to go ahead and jump straight in. Please, no uh, Star Wars questions, though. We're that, that's fair. No more Star Wars. <laughs> um, we're just going to go ahead and jump straight in with a question that I think would be great for Dan to take. Uh, and go ahead and start in with kind of a heavy hitter. Will we have free will in heaven? If yes, uh, will there be, like, could we rebel again? Um, could this all just kind of get... me this? <laughs> Free will in heaven. Yeah. Um, well, I think you'll have God's will in heaven. You know, I mean, if it's free, I'm sure it's in the sense it's the most absolute free. You know, um, I mean, if you're asking, are we going to be a robot? Um, certainly not. But in a good Calvinist tradition, you know, we're totally depraved, um, even though we do good things. So when we're in heaven, that depravity will be solved. And so your natural default will will be that of God's. So is, it'd be different if you want to say, are we free? You know, and um, I'm not sure we understand freedom. I think freedom means that we uh, are responsible to God. So submission comes with freedom as opposed to just getting to do whatever you want to do. I'd also add we uh, answered that question in a sermon length answer two weeks ago. So if you want to visit our podcast, it's basically that, but, uh, but more. Um, I got one for Adam here. Uh, what do I say, how do I interact with someone who talks Christian uh, but isn't living it? Um, that, what's my place in that kind of, with a friend? Yeah, I think it's always... Um, it's a little bit tricky when, when you're trying to witness or to talk to someone that you're not sure where they are. Um, I will say that as, I've, as my understanding of the gospel and my understanding of 
what it means to live the Christian life has kind of evolved and changed over the years. I've come to realize that um, I, for most of my Christian life, was talking and speaking like a Christian and not really living it out. Um, and so on some level, like, it has to be, it has to be about heart change. Um, it's, it was always easy enough for me to, to come and sit, you know, in a chair on a Sunday and listen and intellectually assent to saying, like, ooh, yeah, that sounds right about Jesus, or I could see myself believing this, and really that's as far as I would take it. Um, so I would say... The first thing uh, that I would say is that all of us should probably constantly be looking at ourselves in terms of how much are we actually believing the gospel? How much are we acting in a way that, that makes it seem like we believe it's true? Um, so I guess the way I would answer that in terms of how I would respond to someone else is I would just enter into that with them. I would say, hey, this is where I'm at. This is my journey um, and try to walk along with alongside of them and say, um, at some level, we're, we're all doing this. So, you know, here's, here's where I've come from. And um, yeah, I think it, it'd be maybe hypocritical for me to say like, well, you should probably be doing this when the fact is that I still do that too. So. Yeah, that's good. Um, I've got one for Garrett, because Garrett, I know you've spent a good amount of time with Revelation. And uh, Revelation has come up quite a bit in these. So uh, the question, this question in particular is, is the world going to end as told in Revelation? The whole idea confuses me and makes it difficult to think about life as a parent. Oh, wow. I wish I knew what the, I wish you'd been able to say more in your text there about what the parenting piece means. Um, is the world going to end as it says in Revelation? Ab absolutely. Uh, but what does Revelation say is probably mm -hmm. the question there. Now, if you're ever um, got 30 hours to spare, I, I have done a podcast <laughs> on every single chapter and verse of Revelations. It's on our website. <clears throat> we'll have to answer it a little quicker than that today. Um, the main part point of Revelation is not to describe the sequence of events leading up to the end of the world. Uh, that is often how it is put to us, but that's not the primary message of Revelation. The primary re message of Revelation is to every generation, uh, even though there is much evil going on around you, let, it, let us assure you that Christ will return and his kingdom will be established and all that's wrong will be set right. Now, it says that through a variety of very frightening images, you know, seven-headed dragons and wars and four horsemen and all of this stuff. But each time in Revelation, it goes back to heaven and shows you a picture that says, even though it's terror here, God is in control and at peace and his will is about to be unleashed here. And that's what you should know. So I'm not sure it's describing a, a sequence of events so much as to say to every generation, do you see wars? Do you see famine? Do you see false religion? Well, these are, these are signs of the wickedness of the world, but let us show you the signs that Christ rules over all of this and will establish his kingdom. So as a parent, you can always let your children know, no matter what you see on this television, no matter what you're reading in this newspaper, no matter what you're hearing at school or seeing going on among your friends, know that Christ will return and he will set all these things right. And so we have to have courage to not get caught up in that and join the evil, 
we have to be, have courage to remain Christian even though there's evil all around us. And that's really what Revelation was trying to convince all believers to do. Remain Christian even when it seems like it may cost you your life. Remain Christian. I think a parent could say that to a kid and, and should. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll add one thing because I grew up in the time frame that, you know, uh, I didn't think we At the time of Revelation? <laughs> <laughs> Old man Jeff. <laughs> in, the, in the 60s... Uh, the I didn't 1960s. Think, 1960s, yes, not 68. <laughs> uh, I wasn't sure we was going to see 1970, you know, especially with what the church was putting out at that time, you know, because the signs of the times is it's coming and it's happening and such. And uh, I remember going to my grandmother, you know, because I was kind of scared as a little kid. And maybe this relates to the parent thing. And I went to my grandmother and uh, I talked to her and she said, oh, they said the same thing when I was a kid, you know. And uh, what I found out is that, you know, it sells a lot. Of, and now that I've lived uh, 60 some years, uh, it sells a lot of books, especially every time we have a Middle East crisis, you get a new set that comes out. Believe me, they say the same thing they did in 1969. And uh, so don't let that, don't let the pop stuff, the popular stuff that you get through the media and even the Christian media, don't let that bother you or scare you because what Garrett explained to you, that's the true message of Revelations, true message of the apocalyptic text, that's in the Gospels also. So I just wanted to throw that in. Yeah, it's really good. Um, okay, so not surprisingly, a lot of these texts have uh, to do with kind of our current political climate. So I'm, I think this one is a good kind of way to, to, you know, begin addressing that. And I'm going to go ahead and give this one to Marta. Um, uh, winner, so, winner. <laughs> Uh, the country down to the local level is heavily divided by the political situation in the country. Many are angry and judging others based on their political opinions. If Jesus and his followers were in this situation, how would they handle it and others involved in the scenario? Can you repeat the question? Yes. <laughs> the country down to the local level is heavily divided by the political situation in the country. Many are angry and judging others based on their political opinion. If Jesus and his followers, like, you know, historical then and their followers, were in this situation, how would they handle this and others involved in the scenario? Well, I think Jesus and his followers were in this situation. I, um, from my studies, I don't think this is anything new, that there's a political divide. And um, obviously in the New Testament, a lot of the political divide bled over to spiritual divide. There was no necessarily any kind of difference. And so um, I think what we really have to focus on, and, and you're always going to hear this from me, this is something that I'm very passionate about, is that um, the body of Christ is called to be united. We are called not to divide over issues. Um, if you're seeing your relationships uh, crumble, if you're seeing fights happening, and you're seeing um, judgment against each other because of a political opinion, then I would say listen, 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 listen well to each other before you put an assumption on someone else. Um, I think the difficult thing is, is that we become very passionate about certain issues, myself included, 
And um, when we feel, it's kind of like when you're married and you're like, hey, you're not listening to me. And then you start yelling. <laughs> and they're like, what? And my husband's like, why are you yelling at me? And I'm like, because you're not listening. And so then it escalates. And so what we really need to learn is a little emotional quotient and a little uh, help in that area where we're saying, I want to listen to you. I want to see what your opinion is on this. I want to also be heard. Um, I think uh, David Augsburger, the theologian, said, uh, being heard is so close to being loved that you can hardly tell the difference. And so when I, when I hear people yelling or screaming or being very passionate about issues, I'm I automatically assume that person doesn't feel heard. Um, and so I think that Jesus is a great listener, and I think he would have listened. So that's the original question. Yeah. Uh, I have other opinions, but I'll save them for later. I really appreciate the way that the question was asked. Um, I think there's a lot of ways of approaching this topic uh, in terms of like, well, what should the church believe about this topic or believe about this topic? But I appreciate that that question started, I feel like, more with the heart issue behind any issue, any belief. Um, because I think as Christians, that's probably the place we should start. Um, as I've been thinking through this issue and, and reading over, perhaps one of the first things maybe we could say is everyone should just get off Facebook. I'm really just kidding. Um, actually, I was, I was on Facebook uh, earlier this week just kind of watching some of, you know, the threads and some, some of the discussions that were going on about the issue of uh, the refugees and everything. And as I was, I mean, my heart was just kind of hurting over the fact that I saw, you know, conflict and fighting about it. Um, and as I was praying about it, one of the things that kept popping into my mind as I was thinking about exactly the way that the, the question was phrased, what would Jesus do in this situation? What would, how would Jesus respond to this issue? Um, I, it kept popping into my head um, that we are all so quick to judge our neighbor's hearts on any issue and slow to judge our own. And I think what that meant to me anyway is that no matter what you believe about something, um, the state of your heart is something that Jesus can and should be entering into and hopefully transforming. Um, whether you think you have the right answer or the wrong answer, well, hopefully no one thinks they have the wrong answer, but whether or not you think you're on the right side of any given issue at any given time, um, yeah, it's praying for Jesus to enter into that and to, to be transforming you to look more like him, I think is, is what we should all be praying for at all times. As it specifically relates then to the refugee situation, I was thinking in terms of, well, what is the state of my heart toward refugees themselves? What is the state of my heart toward our current leadership? And what is the state of my heart toward someone who I think might disagree with me? So that's kind of where I would start in terms of, like those three prongs are all important, I think, in this issue. I didn't hear refugees brought up, so I didn't mention anything about that. But I'd like to invite you guys to um, our redemptive community that has been um, trying to partner with refugees for the last two years. Um, so I get that it's a political issue now, but it's, it's not been um, the heart of this church to ever do anything but come alongside refugees and help them. 
the strategy and how that happens, I see can be very different amongst all of us, but I never, ever, ever hear from any Christian that says, we shouldn't help those people. That's not anything I've ever heard from anyone. And so I think the, the great thing is, is that we can find a unifying um, cause and then, um, and then learn about it and, he- and listen to each other about it. So I invite you to join our group. We um, are going to meet in prayer after our second service in the sanctuary um, and the prayer circle. And then if you want more information, I'd love for you guys to join us and learn more about the situation. So, um, I, And just to add on to Adam, I'm not checking my Facebook right now. I have my scriptures on my phone, FYI. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to text in my own question right now. But just to, just to, uh, to tag on to Adam, Adam and I, I had to work from home this week, and we had this long thread of conversation, and I can see that we believe the best in each other and that we were actually saying some of the same things. And so, um, again... I'm not telling anyone to get off social media or to not email or do any of those types of things, but the face-to-face conversation helps you believe the best in each other. And, and we could have that conversation because we believe the best in each other on this, and I don't think we were disagreeing all that far. And when we do that, you see that you're not really that far off from each other. Yeah, a little humility goes a long ways. Uh, in in these conversations, you know, to be strong-headed and absolute is not very humble, and it's a little bit arrogant, I think, you know. I I hate uh, to, I mean, I can can make that fault. It's easy to make that fault, but uh, a little humility that, you know, I I have my opinion, uh, but, you know, uh, I could be wrong, and I need to listen and need to discuss, but Humility goes a long ways, and, and it's, a, it's a great virtue to practice. And the use of threats, intimidation, and profane insults by church leaders on social media is openly condemned by this church. So, um, this is a question that I'm going to field to Jim um, and being the position of not being on staff. I think this is, there's a, a unique voice here. So uh, this question is, uh, what happens whenever uh, Lakeland changes uh, from a church that I loved to something um, that I find uh, that reminds me of churches that I've disliked in the past? I know the set answer is maybe this isn't the church for you, but I've been invested for a long time, and it's way too much of an investment for me to waste. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> and there, there's some things that I, uh, I have to kind of assume on what that means. Uh, uh, I'm going to approach it from uh, the boring aspect that, you know, Am I going to become bored? Uh, well, I think that the you know I know that the pastors here work very hard at being uh, scripturally uh, immersed and challenging. So I you know uh, I know that the worship team works very very hard at creating a worship atmosphere with uh, with uh, with good music and good quality music. So 
if you're worried about uh, it getting old, uh, I think Lakeland works intentionally at not getting old. But here's one thing that you need to consider personally yourself, uh, both the questioner and for anyone else that, has, that might be thinking along that line. In our spiritual journey, we will reach a point of dryness. It's, it will just happen. And we may not interpret it and know what's happening, and we say, well, this church just doesn't speak to me anymore. Well, what, you know, that's not really what's happening. What's happening is God has brought you to the desert. <laughs> and you probably now need someone to walk with you through that desert. And that means some spiritual direction. And I see, you know, would encourage you then at that point in time to seek out a spiritual director. Staff will recommend someone. There are spiritual directors here for you. So don't just interpret that this church doesn't speak to me anymore. It could be that God has now brought you to a spiritual point of dryness, and that is part of Christian growth. And now you need someone to walk with you. Um, that's a good answer. Um, Dan, I've got one for you. Uh, and... and even maybe do a little bit of interpreting this question along the way because there's some uh, language in it that we may not all be familiar with. But how do we reconcile how differently Jesus speaks in Acts and, uh, and Acts in the Gospel of John as per, uh, compared to the Synoptic Gospels? So the question is: is uh, how do we understand or? Uh, yeah, how do we understand the difference between the Gospel of John and the other three Gospels? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'll let anybody up here to answer that one. Thank uh, God someone noticed. Huh? <laughs> Thank God someone noticed. If they're yeah. reading their Bible and thinking about it, and every pastor wishes that their congregation asked more questions like this. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, that's like, because this is like, this is a tater ball. You know, this is good. We can get this <laughs> on the park. Um, but, uh, well, the first three synoptic uh, Gospels, they're called synoptics because they're kind of like doing a synopsis of things. And they all have an agenda, and, and they all are talking from a different viewpoint, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they're really all trying to describe the, the coming of the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. And they all are consistent in talking about his death and his resurrection. John, on the other hand, probably written later, uh, after the other three, if Jesus died somewhere around 30 or 33 uh, AD and rose at that time, um, the first Gospels began to get written some 14 years after Jesus' resurrection. And, um, but John's probably written even as late as 90 uh, AD, so could be even be 50 or 60 years because John was young, uh, supposedly, in following Jesus, probably a teenager even. And so... Um, and he also wasn't martyred, which kind of comes in handy for living a long time. Um, so uh, John, uh, his whole gospel really is a, a retelling of creation. And there are um, some scholars would say, and I think they're right, that there are really eight signs um, reliving each day of creation in John. And so his agenda is not so much about um, a, a smaller story of the kingdom of God, like in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But in John, what you have is this larger picture that Matthew, Mark, and Luke didn't tell, which is the whole remaking of creation, not just Israel in 30 AD, but all of humanity. Because what are the very first words? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was uh, was God and was with God. You know what I mean? 
And so you have that whole retelling of creation. And then throughout, there are really seven signs uh, leading up to my favorite little part at the end where on the morning of the resurrection where uh, uh, Mary, um, not Jesus' mother, the other Mary, um, Mary Magdalene, she comes to the, the garden after the Sabbath on the first day of the week, Sunday morning, and she mistakens Jesus for being the gardener. Well, who's the gardener in Genesis? It's God, you know. And so John is bringing out this whole different tor- sort of story about uh, the difference between John. So look for the, when you read John, it's actually kind of fun to, you know, do. It, look for the seven signs, and then the eighth day is the new day of the whole world uh, with, the, with God as present. So that's how I understand it. Somebody else may want to jump in on that, but. Um, okay, so I've got one that I'm going to hand to Garrett, and it's a summary of a whole lot of questions that I'm just going to say. Homosexuality, big question mark. Um, I know... That's, that's what the question says? I mean... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like those the best, because I have very little idea what you're talking about, but I get to make my best shot. Um, here's the deal for uh, homosexuality, uh, all, all really LGBTQ... Okay, anyways, issues that we're doing today. <laughs> Um, the elders have determined that uh, in our culture right now, this is not a question that we can address in 30 minutes anymore, and certainly not in 20 or 15 minutes. So we are developing um, something for later in the fall to address uh, the biblical stance on LGBTQ stuff, uh, and then how to respond as a Christian to the politics of it, how the church wants to behave about it, and then recommendations for Christians who are dealing with this issue in your own families. So as you can see, that's going to be a, that's going to be a half a day or two evening event. We also want to have some speakers uh, come in who grapple with this issue as Christians in various ways. So that's, that's all we can do today is make a promise to get back around to this uh, in a way that can address it. Because whatever I said, you'd have at least four yeah buts and whatabouts. So let's get, us, let's get ourselves two evenings or half a day where we can get around to all that stuff. Okay. And now we're committed because we've never said publicly we were doing that. All right. <laughs> That'll be fun. Um, <laughs> I'd just like to add on to something like that, on to this. I think with um, all these kind of hot-button issues and what I always tell people in Lakeland Essentials, these, these are non-essential issues, but they can be very essential to all of us because they're about people. And, and they're about our brothers and our sisters and our uncle and, you know, people that we love. And so it becomes very, very passionate and very, very um, essential to us about what we want to believe. So we don't, we want to lead and guide you on those things here at the church. And yet at the same time, we want to recognize that many people feel very differently about the issue and that it's a non-essential according to salvation. So, um, we want to make sure that everyone is, is getting guidance, but at the same time recognizing that these are the faces and the names of real people involved, not just political issues. Um, okay, I've got one that I'm kind of I'm excited to hear an answer to. This is kind of a fun one, but also a real question. Also, whoever it is that's sending questions about like multiple dimensions and stuff, kudos to you. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> But, uh, so this question is, and I, and I love the wording of this question, what are we to think when we find extraterrestrial life in space? Not if, but when. 
I'll destroy them before they steal all our natural resources. <laughs> Everything I need to know I learned from watching 50s horror movies. <laughs> uh, yeah. A anybody, feel, anybody feel a strong desire to answer this question? I'll just, I don't know who our, our alien expert would be. I guess probably Garrett. Probably, probably Garrett. Yeah, uh, that's kind of what I was thinking. <laughs> this is bizarre, but I have thought about it. Uh, <laughs> I kind of hoped you had. Uh, uh, I, I think we'll want to take a wait-and-see approach. Um, but um, I, I, because of my Christian beliefs, I, I have a, a feeling that they, uh, assuming they exist, and, and that is an assumption, uh, they and their culture will... Uh, also have something about a creator with some sort of plan and to try to get quickly to that and try to discern what their story has been and the diversity of opinions on their culture has been. Ironically, I wonder if they're, the people that actually get here will represent that point of view at all. Um, that'll be interesting. That'll be, this is bizarre, Did isn't you it? just say that we're, there are aliens and that they're going to... If there here. were... <laughs> I just want to clarify. And if they got to a place where we if. could see them. See, here's a big thing I think we have going for us on this, is God has placed uh, all planets so far apart that you would practically already have to have eternal life to get to one, even at the speed of light. So I, oh. I think he's well kept us separate. Um, I, sorry, I've thought about this way too much. But <laughs> You asked, so here's the answer. <laughs> and uh, this is a very strange discussion we're having, but um, <laughs> watch God, Enemy Mine. That's a great movie about this. Enemy Mine with uh, Lou Gossett Jr. And yeah, Jesus actually kind of is, because they have a holy book and they start comparing notes and they realize that they both had the same passages. In Oh, I ruined the movie. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'll just say that with God, all things are possible, and that is from Scripture, so we'll just leave it with that. How about that? Um, it's good. I like it. That was a fun question. Um, okay, so Jim, uh, how should the church respond to an ever-changing culture? How should we respond both as the church and as individuals? With love to begin with. For me, uh, it's being rooted. It's being rooted in the gospel. That that's that's my framework. And I look at the gospel and how Jesus responded to the ever-changing culture that he engaged in. Uh, that that would be my model, you know, and how he taught his disciples to, uh, you know, I mean, the Peter wasn't exactly running out, outside of his uh, uh, religious group, the Jews, uh, in Acts chapter 10 to begin preaching to the Gentiles and, and uh, in a prayer when he went up on top of the roof, you know, God, you know, showed him that, you know, the gospel was, was beyond his own culture. And so, uh, you know, I think we have plenty of, mod we have good modeling in the scriptures of how to reach out and, and engage uh, uh, an ever-changing culture. And uh, Christ, Christ is, that, is that model. I'll add a little to that, because I think this is getting at the question of certainty. 
and fear. And what, um, what Dean and Garrett have said on stage a million times and from scripture, the most repeated <laughs> phrase in scripture is do not fear. And that in an ever-changing culture and in times of uncertainty, the Lord is present with us. And so we, um, we can be uncertain and still have faith that all things are working out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So um, the faith that we're trying to instill in ourselves as individuals and as a people of God is, um, is in, a, in a constant God that is good despite whatever circumstances that are changing and are uncertain. I've thought a lot about that this week, so. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I might add something really quickly to that, too. Mm. This is a pretty, I mean, it's a pretty big question that affects so many areas of life. Um, I think that there's a, there's a tension, right, that I see in Scripture and I see in my daily life where I want to make the world look more like God's kingdom. Like, I think as Christians, we are called to help participate in that with him. As he is changing the world to make it new and to make things right, we are called to participate with him in that, right? So there's some aspect when we see something that doesn't look like God's kingdom and we say, I want to be a part of helping make that better. I want to I change that. At the same time, there's the mistake that I found myself making as I look back over the years when I've engaged culture from the Christian perspective is there are times that I've just felt downright threatened by culture, that my faith feels attacked by it, or um, I take it personally. I say someone says something that makes it seem like there's no God, and I just immediately like make it about me and be like, well, you're you're saying I'm wrong, or are you saying, you know, and I just immediately go there, and I don't, I, I have not ever found myself engaging with another person in a way that ends up going well when I'm feeling threatened or I'm feeling personally attacked. Um, so similarly, when I, when I look at, at Scripture and I look at the way Jesus engages culture, there seems to be sometimes that Jesus walks into a situation where something weird's going down, and he's just like, nope, we're going to change this. Like, this isn't right. And then there's other times that Jesus seems to, like, just sort of enter into the worldview that they have mm-hmm. and be like, okay, in this, in this case, like, you believe this. All right, I'll give you that. But, and then sort of starts to redirect it or take it. So I, I'm getting back to the, the heart stuff again. This is kind of my, my tape recorder, I guess. You can just sort of play the Adam says it's all about the heart. But really, like, <laughs> uh, you know, it really is about, about love, as, as Jim said, and about, um, about asking for the Holy Spirit to help guide you when you're engaging culture. Um, I don't, I think there is a right answer, but I don't think you know, the Holy Spirit knows what the right answer is. I don't think we can always just know what the right answer is through our own experience or through our own, because it's, it's personal. It's, it's about relationships, and um, yeah, it's about what God's calling you to at that moment. Yeah. Okay. I always try to remember that the Lord is my shepherd, and I won't be in want, because he leads me to lie down in green pastures and beside quiet waters, and he restores my soul. And he sets me on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk in the valley of the shadow, right, the unseen threat of death, I fear no evil. 
For his rod and his staff comfort me. And he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And my cup overflows. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we probably only have time for one more question, but this seemed like a good question to kind of end with and make sure it got answered. So I think it's sort of a follow-up to your last answer, Marta, or one of your recent ones, but define non-essential for us. I thought that was a... Yeah, I think um, if you guys want to go to the website, our essentials are up there. It's basically the Apostles' Creed. So when you think about what's essential, think about what's essential to salvation. What do we think at this church about what are the things that are essential for you to, to achieve redemption? Um, not that it's an achieving thing, but to be redeemed and to be in relationship with the Lord. Non-essentials um, are things that we're probably going to uh, maybe disagree. We may feel very strongly about it. We may even have a church stance on it. Um, and we may even say this is essential to our church. We believe in the peace, purity, and the unity of the church. That's kind of an essential around here. If people are divisive, we usually call them out on it. So those are the things that are non-essentials. But if you're divisive, we don't necessarily believe that you're going to go to hell or that you lose your salvation over it. Um, so those are the kinds of the differences between um, essentials and non-essentials. Um, and we want to be really clear on that. That's our jobs here, is that um, to be clear about what is essential and what is not essential. Yeah. Does that help? Yeah. Um, we, uh, our denomination that we were part of, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, had a slogan that said, in essentials, um, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity or love. And we've kept that as part of our... Um, our motto that we would be in all things have love and not essentials you can have liberty on. Yeah. Yeah. And that phrase goes clear back to like 400 AD with John <coughs> Chrysostom, you know. So it, that's been around a long time. The, creed, the church put together the Apostles' Creed for baptism, the Nicene Creed for the church liturgy. And that is what they have, you know, uh, that is what. The church should have all these united around for the last 2,000 years. All the rest of it outside of those creeds are truly non-essentials. Everything, you know, we, we didn't, there was nothing that we needed to add to those creeds that we have. That's why we have so many divisions. And uh, we could all get along a lot better if we'd uh, read those creeds every once in a while and see what. Russ, can and, we? And they all center in Christ. Can we get the creed for the end of the service today as we're... Hey, guys, I pushed back on that creed when I was getting ordained. I was like, this is not about relationships. This is... Um, Jim and I had a long conversation about it. And I was like, you guys, this is just a routine repetition of what we're all going to have to memorize and blah, blah, blah. And now I see the importance of it. Now I see it because there's so much divide on. And believe me, we are not each other's enemy. There's an enemy out there that wants to divide us, and um, we are not each other's enemy. So um, when we look at the creed and we look at these things, we're like, this is what we are about. It's these essentials, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. So sorry, Jim, if I gave you a hard time about that a long time ago when you were trying to teach me about it. Uh, keep in mind Marta's posture there. You can be so sure of something today and that you are right 
then maybe that's true. But maybe God's not done with you yet, and there's still wisdom yet to be revealed. You always need to be open to the ongoing wisdom of God. I think that's the main reason the people around Jesus missed him, is because he didn't look exactly like they had come to think the Messiah was going to be, and they weren't open for God himself even to show them a different picture of the Messiah. So, you know, don't be that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, I think uh, I've a little bit failed in my job and we're over time. Um, Oh, we're not? Oh, then what? It is time to stop, but you're not over yet. Oh, cool. Okay, cool. Well, there we go. I did great then. um, (laughs) Give Taylor uh, a hand. I'm so good at this. Uh, (laughs) And... uh, so there were some really, really good questions sent in at the very end there, uh, which is a bummer. Um, that we, but, you know, I was thinking if there was ever a service that was worth, like, coming back for second service, I mean, it's going to be totally different. So that's a thought. Um, thank you all, though, so much for sending in. There are so many good questions in here, and I know there are so many we didn't get to, get to and I'm sorry for that. But uh, thank you to our panel for uh, taking all those so let's be reminded of the things that make us one today i believe in god the father almighty creator of heaven and earth i believe in jesus christ his only son our lord who was conceived by the holy spirit born of the virgin mary suffered under pontius pilate was crucified, died, was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended to the heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Much, much unites us. Amen. Let us go as brothers and sisters.